Obviously, doing zero to 500 is not something that you do by yourself. I mean, you could, but you know, why would you want to do that? That's a lot of work, right? Yep. So by partnering up with the right people and starting to think away from the single family world, which is lone wolf, doing it yourself, to going more onto the partnership side and being a part of a pack, right? That's how you're able to scale really, really quickly. Well, I'm excited to welcome in my brother, Mr. Derek Clifford. How we doing, man? It's awesome, man. I'm doing great. How are you, Maddie? I'm doing great. We were just talking about, you know, uh, we just got back from our Disney World trip with the family and you were asking how was the trip? And I was like, man, it, it's so, it's like an extreme sport going to Disney <laughs> World, you know, with, it's so magical on so many levels, but it's so torturous at the same time. So yeah. I'm uh, I'm a little jet lagged today, but I'm fired up and energized to be having this conversation with you because our journey goes back, you know, when we when we met, um, what, six years ago? No, I think it was at a One Life event in 2016 or 17. So oh. yeah, seven years ago, man. Wow. Cra- crazy believe. how much time has flown and yeah. met you and your amazing wife and, you know, what has transpired over the course of, you know, that timeline has been extremely inspiring to me to see, you know, what you guys have done, the life you guys have lived and unlocked and literally what you guys were talking about in terms of unlocking your one life, your rich life, your definition of, uh, you know, financial freedom, you guys are literally living it now. And, you know, traveling all around the world, living in Airbnbs, you know, going from zero to 500 plus multifamily units, like it's, it's really cool. So I'm excited to unpack that today. But, you know, where did when we met where were you guys specifically like refresh my memory of when we met at that one life conference like where were you guys at you know kind of financially and you know your in your life and you know your mindset i guess what were yeah. you guys working towards yeah thanks for clarifying that because i could say where were where were we physically where were we metaphorically where were we in the mindset right. space yeah i mean man you know looking back honestly if i had to see who i was five, six, seven years ago, it would be a completely different person. I see a person back then who's just learning mindset and how powerful it is to think abundant and to trust the abundant mindset together. Um, I see also someone that is that was fearful, uh, that wasn't necessarily like listening to spousal feedback, but not necessarily incorporating it and really taking it to heart. So there was some internal trust issues back then that I was kind of working through. But um, I think I, I still was someone who wanted to achieve something great and wanted to give back to the world. That was who I was at the core, but there were things that was getting in my way. It was very cloudy back then. So, you know, when we first met, I was just trying to figure out what it is I can do to add value and how I can help people and myself um, get to the next level and help inspire others. So we were living in the Bay Area at the time. Uh, we were living in Dublin, I think, or maybe Pleasant Hill. So out on the east side of uh, the Bay Area. Yep. Um, and then my wife was working as a naturopathic doctor uh, in-house for a facility that, um, that, that it was like a 55 and older facility. And so she was the doctor there at that facility. And then I was working a full-time job as a project manager for a utilities company in the Bay Area. So um, we had just started to get into real estate, but we didn't quite tap into the power of like what it did if, you, if, you, if your mindset calibrates around that and you really embrace it. Um, and there was just a lot of lessons I had to learn back then. So I'm just uh, super happy to have been surrounded by people like you, uh, people in M1, people in the Emerge and the Ascent program, uh, and then also eventually to Go Abundance. Um, that has been the single most influential thing that has given me the progress or the mindset to be able to get to where I am today. And it wouldn't be possible without any of that and your guys' support. So Dude, the power of masterminds is is so amazing yep. to kind of see. It's 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 cool because so many people that I've been around and you know been peers and with and mentored by to kind of you know look at how things have unfolded in their life for the people who have really taken action and just implemented and trusted in the process and just stayed diligent and consistent with executing. I mean, to go from zero to 500 units is unbelievable. How did you 
break free of that W2 mindset. Because I know when I was talking with you early on in that journey, like the Derek then versus the Derek I talk to now is, I don't want to say like two completely different people, but just the overall mindset shift I can, I can see and feel in you. And then, you know, the results that it's unlocked is unbelievable. So like, what was that W2 mindset and what were some of those fears that you were really working through? And how did you kind of overcome that first hurdle of like taking that leap? Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions and of course larger deals and paydays all around we call this deep sales and linkedin has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of linkedin sales navigator right now our millionaire mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try linkedin sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast that's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash Mindcast and get started. Yeah, you know, it's 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 great. Thank you for acknowledging that because it is 100% true. I'm a t- totally different person now and, and way better for it. Um, I live more in the moment now than completely for the future. Obviously, I'm still looking at the future and setting my sail in the direction that I want to head. But at the same time, I'm realizing that you got to live for what's in front of you right now. Um, you know, the quality, the relationships that you have right now, that's super, super important. So that's one thing. The other thing that maybe the audience who are, you know, who are listening that are W-2 individuals or working a corporate job and trying to find a way out. One thing that really shifted my thinking was, my wife helped me understand that we should stop thinking about how much we're living and that's determined by the size of our paycheck because that's exactly what my mind was like back then. It's like, oh, well, we don't have enough money at the end of the month to be able to do that type of thing. So we can't, we can't do that. But the real person that I am now would be like, well, how can we do that? Maybe we can't do it now. But I don't want this pattern to keep coming up in the future. So how can we set ourselves up in a direction to do that? So that's the other thing. The third thing was, is trusting in my spouse. So it's kind of like this deeper layer of this this paycheck mentality. Um, By really listening to what my spouse had to say about, you know, where I was limiting myself, where we were limiting each other, uh, and some of the issues that she was experiencing and, and really taking them seriously those were some of the, like the basic things that helped like unlock. And then the other thing too is that we've been getting help from coaches. Um, there's a there's a couple of coaches. I don't know, Maddie, if you know uh, Phil and Gail Toll. No, um, but they are. Uh, we helped introduce them to Tim Road and David Green, and they're they're working together with them. But they're performance coaches, and they've done some amazing things for the St. Louis Rams. They helped them win the Super Bowl, and they've helped Metallica stay together uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, and so we were just blessed to have run into them. And then they started, you know, we started working with them as coaches. And what they told me is that, you know, at going through all these trials and tribulations, the one thing that they pointed out to me and to Sophie was that we always landed on our feet, no matter what happened, no mm-hmm. matter what happens, whatever issue comes up, we've always managed to land on our feet. And so they challenged me to think about what would happen if you leave the W-2, right? If you leave the W-2, what's going to happen? You always tend to land on your feet. So let's try to push that because what's the consequence of if things go wrong, right? The consequence is we just go right back to work. And that's that's basically it. Maybe there's some fear, there's some ego thinking there, but it takes the right person to start questioning what these patterns are doing to you long-term if you don't take that risk and just make the jump to try it, right? So you know, rather than being run by uncertainty and fear, uh, we're now we're now 
operating out of opportunity and what makes sense and taking calculated risks and networking with other folks and trying to learn from people who are steps ahead and just thinking in a more abundant, positive type of nature. So that's kind of the difference between where we were when I was working my W-2 and trying to get to where I am today. And it's really funny, Maddie, how like it's the mindset piece that always drives it. We like to say that if you change your internal world, it just takes a matter of time before your external world will catch up to that mindset, right? So if you elevate your mindset, your external world's going to go up. Vice versa is true too. If you find yourself inheriting a whole bunch of money or you win the lottery or something like that and your mindset is low, it's just going to take a matter of time before the world is going to catch up with you there also. So that's why these two things are so tied together. And when we realized that and started focusing deliberately on our mindset while I was working a W-2 and building a side business, that's when things started to take off. So that's kind of my advice to people who are in my situation or looking to escape right now. So talk about, because we'll, we'll fill in the gap in the middle, but talk about where you guys are at today. Like, what is your life style? What does a day in the life look like for you guys right now? What have you really unlocked in terms of your physical world, your assets, your income, your net worth? Like, what has that mindset shift brought to fruition for you over the last few years? Yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll talk about the middle in a little bit, but right now we are on our 62nd Airbnb in the last uh, 18, 19 months, actually 19 months since leaving my full-time job. And our travel has included, you know, Greece, like we've been on the island of Crete. We've been in Athens. Uh, We were in Lisbon for a while. Uh, We were in England for a little bit in London and also down in Southampton. We went on a cruise. We were in Norway, Iceland, um, all these amazing places. And even in the US, there's tons of places that we found uh, absolutely incredible. But we're really, truly living a nomadic lifestyle. And all we own, Maddie, is our car and six pieces of luggage. And that's it. And we're just traveling around and investing in real estate uh, and just having a great time, you know, working through the internet. What's been your What's been your favorite uh, place that you have, you know, destination-wise kind of stayed at for some period of time and why? If you ask Sophie, that would be Reykjavik in Iceland. Okay. Um, just because like you cannot beat the experience of laying down in a geothermally heated river. I kid you not. It's incredible. Um, and we were there at like eight o'clock at night because the sun stays up until midnight or 1 a.m. So we, were, we, we started our hike at like 6 p.m. after dinner and then hiked up to the river. And so that's her favorite place. My favorite place is the island of Crete um, out in Greece. Uh, just the generosity. I love the self-sustain, like the the ability for the island of Crete to be able to sustain itself. Like it, it has enough food to be able to feed all of Europe. So all the stuff is homegrown there. Uh, and the generosity. And then you're on the south side of the Mediterranean. So you're getting the nice warm weather and all of the water. And it's just great. It's a great place. People are super friendly. Uh, and And there's tons of cities and nature and vineyards and all types of things that really reminds me of the Bay Area. Mm. Except it's its own little... Uh, country, you know, uh, down there. So uh, I love the island of Crete, and I would love to go back there. Maybe even buy a house out there and and, and live there part time. Well, being that you've been in the, the the real estate space for quite some time now, <laughs> I, I see that in your future. So what 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 does your real estate portfolio and business look like at Elevate Equity? Yes. So right now we have somewhere around five hundred units, um, a little bit more than that. About half of them are JVs and small multifamily um, syndications that we do uh, inside of the Indianapolis and Louisville area, so in the Midwest. Then the other half of the portfolio is down in Texas. We've got some stuff in Austin and San Antonio, which I hear you also have some stuff in San Antonio going on. So listeners, do please uh, make sure you reach out to Maddie if you want to learn more about that. It's a really (laughs) cool project. I think, are you working on it with Jake as well? Yeah. Awesome. so yeah, so so mostly it's multifamily units right now. We're looking to expand into self-storage as well. There's some key partnerships within GoBundance that we want to we want to grow into a little bit more. So uh, we also have a fund as well that we're uh, that we're that we're deploying capital into and helping uh, investors find out more about what we look for and 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 you really using that as a as a hedge to help get people into this passive income to help them escape their full time jobs. So um, yeah. Half multifamily units in uh, in the Midwest for cash flow, and then the other half in Austin and San Antonio for appreciation and some cash flow too. So when you were first starting out, and and, and I want to kind of highlight real quick, you in late 2020 were at let's say 30 plus you you know multifamily units. Mm-hmm. A year and a half ish later, you're at 500 
plus yeah. units. How were you able to accelerate that so quickly? Well, so let's just say that I had built up a lot of personal capital with individuals because there were people that I had been working with inside of the corporate world for many, many years, right? Mm -hmm. And they were asking me so many questions about when I was building my single family portfolio, how I was doing it from the Bay Area. And back then, Maddie, like you could take a single paycheck from, you know, my W-2, which was about $10,000, $15,000, right? Somewhere in that realm. And I could use that as a down payment for a property in Indy, in Indianapolis. That's what the times were like back then. So people were asking a ton of questions about how, you know, you're scaling, how to do all that. So I wrote a book. And I took that book and I gave it to all of my W-2 friends and they've been stewing on it for many, many years or for a couple of years at least until they found out that I was looking to exit the W-2 and started buying multifamily. They were asking questions about how they could be a part of that world. And that pent up demand, plus the fact that my family and friends were also seeing what I was doing. And of course, I was able to send them the book, do more YouTube videos, just expand my footprint so that it made people... Um, it made me easier to find by a bunch of people that were not only within my network, but one level beyond that. So they could learn who I was easier. Um, all of that kind of like just took off, right? And so I ended up raising capital um, and then placing it with people that I had trusted and been talking with for many years inside of GoBundance and also outside of GoBundance. So obviously, doing zero to 500 is not something that you do by yourself. I mean, you could, but you know, why would you want to do that? That's, that's, that's a lot of work, right? Yep. So by, by partnering up with the right people, um, and starting to think away from the single family world, which is lone wolf, doing it yourself, to going more onto the partnership side and being a part of a pack, right? That's how you're able to scale really, really quickly. So that plus the fact that I left my job in September. So six months after I got my first multifamily, that's when I left and had a bunch of stuff in, in process. And literally, I kid you not, Within two weeks of me leaving, there must have been an energy shift somewhere, Maddie, but we got in a contract on four deals all at the same time. I won't do that again because that, that was madness. Like it was crazy <laughs> in my life at that time. But that's where we got a big basis of our portfolio was uh, through that, through that there. And then it's just been kind of, you know, taking off at that point. You know, once we closed, uh, we have repeat investors and we had people that wanted to work with us over and over again. Um, and so it's just kind of been taking off from there. And Again, I attribute all of this to mindset growth and my spouse. So talk about how you kind of made that shift. Why did you go from single family to multifamily? And how did you land on the market that you ended up selecting? Yeah, you know, I really wish I'll start with the market question first. Uh, I really wish that I, uh, you know, could tell you that I was this, like this scientist, you know, person, I was sitting down over numbers and, and looking at which markets to select, because I know that's how a lot of people are doing it nowadays. They're looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and, you know, doing a lot of what the formulaic way to find a market is out there. I took a more straightforward approach. And inside of, you know, in my California Bay Area circles, people who are investing out of state, I just asked them what markets they were investing in, right? Uh, and I narrowed it down to three Midwestern markets. And at that point, I just kind of picked one of them and just went with my first investment there. Um, after getting a couple in there to scale, I check, double checked all the numbers to make sure that like it was heading in the right direction. But once that made sense, I was like, well, you know, this is as good a market as any. So let's just go ahead and move forward. So that's how we stuck with Indianapolis. Uh, and then we just started moving forward from there. So we just selected that market and, and went in. And the other half of your question was making the transition from single family to multifamily. Well, again, I wish I could be scientific and tell you that I, <laughs> that I planned this out from the beginning. But what really happened was um, I ran out of loans, Maddie. Like, you know, when you're working with single family loans, if there's, you know, if you guys out there as, as the audience are investors, you're going to find that if you inv invest in single family rentals out of state or even in the state that you're working in, um, you're going to only be able to have 10 loans per person. So if you have a joint tax return and your wife could qualify for loans or your husband could qualify for loans, then you can use that too. And you can, you know, get up to 20 of them, right? So I had a choice where I could roll all of these properties into an LLC and do a portfolio loan, right? Or refinance them somehow yeah. or go into multifamily. And although it scared me, this is why the input of your spouse is so important because my wife pushed me to think about scale. Because if I had just done a portfolio loan and refinanced all of my Freddie loans, or I'm sorry, my Fannie Mae loans at their 30-year amortization, you know, all those all those regular loans into a single one portfolio, 
and then continued to go up in single families, then I'd have the same problem later on, right? I have to keep doing this refinancing game where instead she recognized after our discussions that multifamily is true to scale at the asset level from the beginning, because you do one set of paperwork for 50 units. It's the same set of paperwork that you're going to do for 150 units, right? And so we saw that power right there. Meanwhile, you know, you could do single families where you're buying, it's one set of paperwork, one AC, one roof, one lawn, one tenant, right? One PM and one set of books just for that one property. And that seemed like a job, you know, doing that over and over again. Yep. Uh, Whereas instead, if you have multifamily, you can consolidate things, you can scale out, you have efficiency, all of those things. So we realized that we had to make the jump. And it was really tough, man, because I was watching all of my friends, you know, that were doing this, that the stuff that I taught them, they were buying single families out of state. And I had to hang back and watch them succeed. And I was here, you know, really working hard to try to get my multifamily business and mindset up to snuff, right? Before I was able to really scale. Um, and so that took another mindset piece that I'm really proud of, uh, of overcoming early on as well. So. What have been some of the challenges, uh, pros and cons, I guess, that people could maybe learn from your experience of investing out of state? You know, there's there's benefits mm-hmm. to it. There's challenges that come along with it. What are some of the things that you share with people to keep in mind as they maybe venture in a market that's out of proximity to them? Yeah, you know, um, I would say that it's very, it's smart. I think there's more pros than cons investing out of state than staying in state. Um, some of the major things about investing out of state is the, is the availability. Like the, there's a ton of different price points out there, a ton of different cash flow characteristics. So, you know, what the cap rates are. So if your audience is sophisticated in that way, you can determine what cap rate is their target, whether they want to go after appreciation or cash flow or a little bit of both. Um, and you know, you can buy in places where your family's located. So there's a whole bunch of features and things you can do with it. Plus the pro of that is that it's scalable. You know, whenever you're buying in one market, if you need to pivot and make a change to buy in a different market, then you could do that. Now, if you're local, there are certain things you can do that maybe give you a leg up, right? If you're in one of these markets that may make it make sense for you to, to stay where you are. If you're in an area where it does make some good sense to, to, to invest, Investing locally is great because then, you know, the network, you can build up your network. You have more opportunity for off-market deals, right? Like you can drive around and start looking for properties that have been distressed for a long time and call the owner. Um, You can hand out flyers. You can be more involved in the operations and the acquisition of your asset uh, and you're more hands-on. So if you're looking for that active type of thing, I I say that there's either money or knowledge and time. You know, you got to leverage either like one of the three of those things, right? And whatever you have the most of, you should really tap into that unfair advantage and just make that happen. So if you don't have money and you have a great local market, then you can leverage your time and your knowledge to be able to translate that into deals when you're local. But if you're out of state or you have capital, it may make sense for you to go out of state because then you can use your capital to translate into help from other people out in that market. So I think there are pros and cons, and I think you know this well, but uh, hopefully that, that makes sense breaking down for the audience. What has been one of your, in hindsight, biggest mistakes investing in real estate that can be avoided if you knew what you know now? <laughs> so the, there's a couple um, that come to my mind right now, but I think that me being really naive and thinking that with a cash flow property, like a D-class property or C-class property, the returns that you see on paper look phenomenal. It's like, you know, a 15% rate of, <laughs> rate of return or something like that. Um, but the reality is, is that you may end up being that cash flow for one month, but then for nine months, you're just like not making anything at all. So just being realistic that like, you know, if it seems too good to be true, because you're, you know, your tenants are paying $800 a month to stay in a house that's worth $50,000. Like, that, does that make sense at all? Like, why would, you know, what would a homeowner do that? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, so you got to think through about like, if, are the numbers too good to be true? And if it's something that like a cash, like the, the, the cash flow is really high, um, I would start to question that, right? Just look at, look at the numbers seriously and do your homework on what you think the rents are actually going to be coming in. And talk with a local investor 
they'll tell you, you know, that that area is really hard to keep the occupancy up and um, people beat up the property and it's just not a place, safe place to go. That was my number one thing. So I, I learned that lesson on a few properties already that I had, I had gotten rid of. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. But the other thing is, is your partners. I was mm. really quick to jump into a partnership, Maddie. And um, I knew two of the three partners that we were, that we were working with. Uh, but the other partner, I didn't know very well. Um, and it just didn't, it didn't work out very, very well. I mean, we still have the property and we've been able to, to maintain it, but I've had to swallow my ego. And I've had to learn a lot of things about working with someone that you're married to. Mm-hmm. That you're not that you're not in good terms with, but you have a joint interest in making it happen together. So I do I went through a lot of personal growth. So I wouldn't sacrifice that time for anything. But I would say that you should be slow to hire and fast to fire. Just like if you're bringing employees on, you really got to know who you're jumping in bed with there, mis- metaphorically, right? With these yep. uh with these partnerships. And so that's why it's super important to uh work on your network. And knowing as many people as you can, so you can find the right fit, not only from a knowledge standpoint, but also from a personality and a vision standpoint, right? Mm. So I didn't take that time to do that. I just kind of, you know, let someone, one of my friends pull in their friend, and then we just jumped into a JV and it it didn't work out very well. So on the other side of that, what would you say has been kind of one of the skills or superpowers that you've gotten the greatest ROI on that you really leaned into elevating yourself and that has showed up big time in terms of creating real value in your investing journey. Yeah, you know, I would say that it was confidence in myself. Mm. You know, I think that knowing that I was in the right but being a be allowing myself to get bullied and pushed around by this other partner in this particular situation um was super important for me because it 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 made me realize that I do have something valuable to bring to this conversation. It is something that's worth acting on. It's just that I felt like I was getting reduced by this other partner, just the way that they were talking to me and handling that inside of the dynamic of the partnership. So by pushing back and learning to add that tool to my tool belt to have some, a little bit of like, you know, coercion, because my style Mm. very much is working, being diplomatic and working with people and yielding where it needs to be. But there are some points in time where that costs us lots of money and time where I wasn't firm where I needed to be. And because they didn't hear that and understand that, it costs us time and effort, right? And money as well. So I learned that I need to do that. And I had to use that a couple of times and it felt very uncomfortable. But you know, it gets easy as you it gets easier as you start doing that. So while it's not like the default, I don't recommend that people come in there with, you know with hammers swinging or, you know, with bats swinging around trying to trying to cause some damage. I do think that there is a point in time where you absolutely need that when you're working with partners and employees. And so that's something that I learned that is a very handy part of my tool belt. I don't use often, but when I do, it's taken very seriously by the people that I'm working with. I love that. In terms of you talked about it, 
previously, and I always love to understand people's mindset around this. Because I don't necessarily know if there's a right or a wrong answer here. I think it obviously depends on someone's goals and what they're solving for and trying to accomplish. But you talked about cash flow versus appreciation or a little bit of both. What are your thoughts around that? And what would you encourage people to think about when analyzing the differences between the two and how those tie into their investing strategy? Yeah, you know, good question. I think a lot of it comes down to just like risk tolerance. It's it's how much are you, you know, what are you willing to do? I would encourage people who are earlier on in their career, um, who maybe have a W two or a spouse that's working, to really focus on the appreciation side. That's where a lot of that stuff gets rolling, right, man? Mm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, actually. Um, but my thought is that if you're younger and earlier on, I would veer towards the riskier investments because you have time to do that. Not take you know insane risks, but definitely higher return investments but also look for those that have high appreciation potential and safety and capital. Because, you know, we talk about in GoBundance, we talk about being a 50 percenter or 100 percenter. And what that means is how much passive income as a proportion of your total expenses every month, right? Are you able to cover all of that? And early on, I thought that cash flow was the answer. But I realized that cash flow is great. And I can get like, you know, 10 percent cash on cash. But if I only have a net worth, Maddie, of like $200,000 or $200,000 in deployable capital, you can't really do too much with that. That's only, that's only $20,000 a year, right? And that's if it's 10%. That's if it's risky and reliable, right? Yeah. Um, usually, you'll get somewhere around 8% or 7% or 6%, depending on the investment. So what you need to do is get a bigger... You need to get a bigger shovel, right? You need to have a yes. bigger amount to be able to deploy. So I would say that while you're able-bodied and willing to work and allow uh, being able to allow time to work for you in the early part of your career, I would definitely prioritize the appreciation part of it so that eventually you can go and start getting the cash flow when you have a bigger amount of, you know, a bigger basket to be able to invest in. So that's my thought. Um, yeah. w- what do you think? I, I think you touched on it perfectly. Personally, I mean, I've always said that cash flow unlocks freedom, equity unlocks options. And, you know, the more net worth, the more appreciation, the more equity you have, the more options you have to get creative and you're swinging with a bigger bat to potentially go and grab more cash flow. But I think depending on where people are at in their journey, like, for example, if you know, I was making good income when I was first starting my real estate journey. So I was actually more focused on appreciation and, you know, where could I get the greatest multiples of upside than, oh, I'm going after cash flow. But like you said, right, if you're in a market where you're only generating a couple hundred bucks a month and turnovers are happening maybe every 12 or 24 months and they trash the property and all that quote unquote cash flow has to go dumped right back into the property are you really getting what you you know wanted in terms of the cash flow but then the you know markets that generally have greater cash flow don't always have greater upside and appreciation so i think it just depends yeah. on where you're at in your journey where you're at in your income you know and what you're really trying to solve for in the short and the long term but i think you know looking at how you can get the greatest multiples of equity growth with quality cash flow along the way that are kind of the base hits as our buddy Tim Rode would talk about. That's right. Yep. Those are some of the things that I, I, I take into account, but I think it really yeah. depends on people's financial situation and what goals they're kind of solving for in the short term uh-huh. and long term. Yeah, 100% agree. I think that I should caveat this by saying that you should invest in appreciation deals that have cash flow enough to be able to allow you to hold them through whatever the market does. Totally. That's that's the thing. because. I that was my plan all along is to use the cash flow to be at least able to supplement the rental income so I could choose when to exit. Yeah. Because if you go in, in 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 like a California market, for instance, right? Like let's say let's say you want to deploy $250,000 into a single family home in the Bay Area. You can do that and you're going to have great appreciation if you hold it for the long term. Yep. But you're going to be writing a check every month because your rent doesn't even cover the mortgage now, especially these days with rates going about at like 7%, right? Yep. So you got to be smart about where you're investing, um, getting a deal that will allow you to at least hold the property comfortably for a long period of time so that you can enjoy and choose that exit, right? You don't want to have to be mentally writing a check because then you're going to be tempted to sell that thing 
for a little bit of appreciation, right? As soon as you can break back to even or something. So you got to be mindful of your own mind, your own risk tolerance, and what you think you'll be able to tolerate moving forward with your personal situation. That's that's my thought. So I love what you did early on with that, the, the good upside plays. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, the, as you as you hit certain milestones in your journey, right, that your ideology around that strategy can shift, or maybe you can get a little bit more diversified. So I think it's just looking individually at each and each person's situation, where they're currently at, where they're trying to go, what is that gap in the middle, and what strategy best applies at the the milestones along the way of getting there. In Love terms it. of you, you and I share this this sentiment, which I think is you know versus going alone or you know going in a, in a group, right? Collectively, I am of a mindset that you know if you can own a slice of a watermelon versus 100% of a grape, I'm going to go with the watermelon. And you have been somebody that has built, like you said, that personal capital with people that trust your integrity, doing what you say you're going to do, taking action, bringing value. How have you been able to really grow your investor database? And as you said, not only get people to invest with you or partner with you, but then to have them coming back, there's some mm. formula, you know, and, and, and practice that you're deploying there. And I'm curious for those that are listening, saying, hey, maybe I can't get this one property by myself, but I could with somebody else, or I want to grow into syndications and pooling people's capital together to get a bigger property, get that watermelon and all the share in the slices. What did that look like for you as you went from zero to 500? Yeah, good question. Um, I would say looking back that um, people could sense right away that I was passionate about what I was doing. And I was not afraid to share what I was doing. So you really got to be able to talk about this right fluidly and be enthusiastic about it. But I think that for me, what kept people around and also attracted others was my over communication style. I love to be able to just send, I send monthly emails out to all of my investors. I record videos and bring them into a quarterly Zoom call in addition to doing monthly emails on all of our syndications and our JVs even. And people love that level of communication because when they get to talk with you, the person who supposedly knows what's happening with everything on the investment, it gives them a close, like it makes them feel closer to the investment. So it's less passive to them, right? Mm. Even though it is passive, they feel like they're able to be more of an influence on it. Uh, and that's just my style is diplomatic. So I, I like to work with people who want to be communicated to. Um, and so I, I think it's just a matter of finding the tribe and the people that you that that enjoy your style. And then at that point, you know, it's just being omnipresent, right? Like there's no like there, there's no substitute for posting on social media so that, that way people can easily look you up and they can, you know, forward people forward like clips of you talking at the camera to their friends. Um, so all of that is like scale and helps with retention. But I think the main thing is, you know, remembering the people that you're investing with are people. And yeah. so you've got to call them. And that's usually the way that we've been able to get these folks to invest with us is the personal relationships. Um, usually, no one's going to write you a $50,000 check unless they talk with you. So the main thing is getting that conversation started. And so you got to kind of walk them through the funnel of, you know, being first out there, right? The first you have to be seen, then you have to be known, then recognized, then liked, then trusted. And then finally, when the time is right, that's when they'll invest. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people forget that this is a, a long-term game when you're doing right. this type of thing. You can't just go out there and expect to get, you know, checks handed to you every, yep. you know, every week. You got to walk people through that funnel. And so the more that you're aware of that process of building relationships, how that happens on a scale, right? On a scale basis, that's what you need to do. And by getting referrals, that's a, the, main, um, the main way that we get a lot of our investors that nowadays is that you're borrowing the, the reputation and the trust of someone else. So they're already like you're already taking away three out of the seven of those steps, right? To get, to get them to invest with you. So, you know, this isn't rocket science. I know this isn't anything new. But for us, it's just really communication, um, being out there so it's easy for people to find us, uh, and then really being um, specific on you know reporting out what is happening with the property, uh, building automated tools to help with dashboards, and we we just recently came out with this, and it's really we're really excited to be able to share that. So people are super excited about seeing 
automated dashboards for all of our properties that look the same, um, that goes out with all of our emails. Uh, and so all of that stuff really helps. And so it's just about getting a little bit better and communicating both the challenges and the successes with your investors. So that's kind of the advice that I have there. Talk yeah. a little bit more about the dashboard. I think that's super interesting, right? Given people love kind of this gamification of yes. whatever it is that they're doing and having visuals to it. So what what did, what does that look like for you guys? I um I don't know if this is going to be a visual thing, but I I could I mean I'll show you afterwards. But you're you're more than welcome to screen share. I mean this this is you can talk through it if you want. Um, this all the all the uh, you know those that are listening know that you can go to YouTube on. Um, Absolutely. Podcast and, and check out Derek's episode and, and you'll actually get to see what we're talking about. So here, let me but... let me go ahead and do that. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and share uh, right now. I'm going to switch over and let me do a screen share. So what I have right now is this. OK, uh, what this is, is it's a dashboard that shows what everything that's happening inside of the property. Right. And what I what I'm really proud of is that it's pulling in weekly data for vacancy, how the NOI looks and how it compares to the original plan that we had. Oh, wow. And it's handling dynamically however many looks, however many months we want to look back. If it's seven months, then it automatically recalculates all the numbers. And, you know, whether or not we have the current data for the month ready, it kind of takes care of all of this. And then I have all of these properties that we can adjust for. So you can kind of see automatically at a glance what this looks like. I'm still working on this equity creation piece, but how cool is in, that, dude? In any event, um, I pulled this all in. Uh, I have a um, an assistant who's a very talented assistant that's basically pulling all of the transactions from all of our property management statements and everything. And that's giving us the data for everything that we need for all of our properties. Uh, and you can see over here, we also have a P&L um, you know, that's, that's generated live. Uh, and you can pull for uh, year to date. You can and pull is this just being pulled out of, out of QuickBooks or, or how it, where's kind of all of the data being aggregated from? From this tab. That one so my, my VA pulls in because we have different like we have a lot of offsite property managers, right? So yep. uh, third party property managers. So they give us data in different ways. And so what they'll do is they'll will we'll combine all of the data in a, in a single uh, format. And so all the data gets dropped into this one place for all every single one of our properties for all of them. And you can see here there's there's a lot of data. Uh, and with all this data, it's as long as you have the, the all the streams set up correctly, then there's no reason why you couldn't pull it and present it in a really nice, uh, under easy to understand format as well. So, yeah, this is cool, man. This is really cool. If you guys are unable to see this, I highly recommend going to the YouTube channel to check that out because that in itself is worth listening and watching this episode for anybody that wants to really position themselves as an authority, uh, you know, a good steward of one's capital that has got diligence and discipline around the things that really matter. I mean, that that's impressive, dude. I don't know too many syndicators that are doing that. So yeah, well, so we get to, uh, thank you very much. I mean, we get to, even for small properties, and the cool thing is that this thing scales. So as we add more properties, it's just another line item, right? For our VA to to add stuff into. Um, so that's what we that's what we love. We love to think about scale. Um, and, you know, this this program, we may end up like trying to work with another GoBro to package up and specifically market for small multifamily uh, investors who are looking to asset manage. Um, so we have tons of ideas with this that I want to kind of expand on. And that's really where some of my passion lies in the last couple of months with Very this, just cool. because I think, you know, this is an underserved space, right? A lot of small multifamily investors don't have tools like this to be able to easily present to either themselves, their partners or their investors. And so we want to try to resolve that here and, and take care of this once and for all. This. So what does with the current market landscape, you know, and potentially the, you know, no one has the crystal ball, but the future of what could present some challenging times or some very opportunistic times, what are you guys doing right now to kind of protect and build a moat around what you guys have? And mm -hmm. what's the outlook look like for the future? Yeah, so because we have mostly multifamily, that's where our strength is. We're really focused on NOI right now. Because that's why I'm actually in Indy. I've been in Indy for two months working with all of our property managers to identify places where we can cut expenses and try to increase income. Mm. Because look, no one knows what's going to happen with interest rates. No one knows what's going to happen with cap rates, but I can control NOI. So if I can 
boost NOI that gives us so many more exits later on, right? Whether the economy is great or whether it's bad in the next year or two, right? So that's our main insurance policy is working on those NOIs. That's that's what we that's what we want to do. Um, there are some some things that we're doing, like we are. Uh, there there tends to be some people in some of these in some of our units where like the gas is shared. So you got to think a little bit about it. Put yourself in the mind of the tenant. They'll open up a window and keep their thermostat at eighty in the middle of the winter. So what we're doing is we're installing thermostats that won't allow that temperature to go up above seventy five or seventy three or something, right? So that way they're getting the heat that they need. They're yep. just not wasting any energy. Um, we're installing more efficient water heaters, um, insulation. We're actually adding more into those because we're noticing that for some reason it's missing a lot. Mm. Uh, so we're focusing on energy efficiency. Um, there's also uh, tech that we can utilize for turns uh, and then just getting crews involved, like more of the operational things. So um, there's a lot of things that we're looking at and a lot of projects that we want to implement. Uh, so I'll let you know in, in a year or so what worked the best, and then you guys can take that and use for your for your own. I love it. Look, looking for efficiencies, you know, and 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 when they say the kind of cliched statement of the devil's in the details, right? I mean, when you look at NOI, and when we're talking about multifamily and cap rates and the value of your asset being tied to NOI, every detail matters. And yes, sir. I love that you guys are digging in with a fine tooth comb on all of that stuff, which is brilliant. What's your outlook on the future and what is, you know, kind of your thesis and investment strategy and, you know, actions going to portray over the next 12 to 24 months? Yes. So for the next uh, 12, the next six months, we're really focused. There was actually a really cool um, presentation by Neil Bawa. So I got to give him credit to this, but um, if you don't mind, I'm going to share the screen one more time. Let's I want to show. It. I want to show something. Uh, if it works, give me one second here. But uh, we are we're of the opinion, uh, at least for me, I I think that there's going to be a slowdown in the next six months. I don't think that we're going to see a huge like 2008 type invest type uh, economy. Uh, we're not going to see like a huge huge drop off. But my thought is that we're going to see something where interest rates are going to continue to go because the Fed has more tools to be able to cool the economy off when interest rates are high. Yep. And they're deathly afraid of hyperinflation. They just don't want that to happen. So they are willing, and Jerome Powell has even said it before, he's willing to put the economy into a recession, which I think that they're actually trying to do. So there's a graph right here and all the credits goes to Neil Bawa. And we just actually got this presentation within the last 24 hours because he was presenting in some other some other group. Uh, so hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing this, but uh, it's part of Grow Capitus, which is his group. And he's got great data. Um, so I, I highly recommend you guys look him up. But he had this chart here where all of his acquisitions, his 3000 you know, units and 50,000 or 500 million worth of assets under management, he's pushing all of his multifamily assets to be sold in early 2025, late okay. 2024. And so for those who are just listening, what we have here is there's a graph uh, where you have interest rates or mortgage rates uh, for single families. And then you have the Fed funds rate, which drives all other financial products, right? Yep. In, the, in, the, in the orange. And what he's showing here is that we're currently at somewhere around three and a half, three seven five, And he's showing a peak in the summer of about 5%, which is another, you know, 1.25 points or 125 basis points higher. Then what he's seeing is a recession happening in July, a six month long recession that goes through from July 2023 out to December. And what he's saying is that once that happens, then they'll start backing off the rates and start lowering down to about, you know, three and a half in, in early 2024 on the Fed funds rate and then down to two to two and a quarter in 2024. He's basing all of this data off of, you know, a ton of other information that he's that he's looking at. He's always looking at single family and multifamily. He's talking about demand changing. Uh, the Fed is willing willingness to hike all the way up to 5%. Yep. Uh, and so he had a very compelling argument that there is incentive from the Fed to want to do something like this. So what he's saying is it's time to start looking at buying multifamily in July of 2023, which is almost exactly according to what I was thinking is towards Q3 next year. Um, just because seller expectations are so high, Maddie, right? Yeah, they got because, they're they're reaching still because well, it's because they're getting record rents right now. So yep. there's really no incentive for them to sell. So the only people that are selling are those that have to because um, they are 
debt constrained, right? Like they have yep. debt issues or they've got partnership problems. So what I see happening is, you know, a recession in the middle. This is a good time to start buying is, you know, in Q3 sometime next year. Uh, then he predicts the lowest single family rental prices to be at the end of the year next year in 2023. And then 2024, we'll start seeing a recovery towards the second half of the year. And then that's where he's positioning all of his multifamily assets to start selling. And this is exactly what you know we had in mind too. We were thinking 2024, 2025 is a good time for us to start selling off some of those, those, uh, those assets that we have where the debt's getting ready to expire. So I love it, dude. That's where we're at. Hopefully all I got to say is... The Derek I'm talking to today versus the guy I met at One Life, man, congratulations on all your success, dude. I know you're just going to continue to crush it and keep sharpening the axe in all the areas that you know bring value to all the people that get to do business with you, invest with you, continue elevating and you know taking your life to that next level. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that want to check out what you're doing at Elevate Equity that want to yep. know you know how they can uh, connect with you or learn more and what would be the best place for them to do that. Yeah, thank you very much. And first of all, it's been a blast to talk with you and to be on this podcast. It's been it's it's awesome. I'm really honored to be uh, joining the cohort of amazing guests that you had. So thank you for having me on. Uh, but yeah, the easiest way they can find me is just go to elevateequity.org. Um, and then I have a gift for all those listeners out there. Just go to elevateequity.org forward slash podcast gift. And there you will learn how my wife and I built up our knowledge base to help get us out of the full-time rat race. So if you're looking to do that, Go in there. There's a checklist PDF. It's super cool. Um, it talks. It walks you through everything that we worked on on the personal development side and relationships and everything to help get us ready to actually exit the W two. So hopefully that that helps your audience. Derek, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Thank you, man. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.